Welcome to episode 16 of the Swamp Flicks Podcast. My name is Brandon Lede. And I'm Cece Chapman. We are coming to you from 7th Ward, New Orleans. This is the podcast version of the movie review website Swamp Flicks. This is our Halloween cooldown episode. Uh, all the candy's been passed out. Uh, we passed out from going to costume parties, watching a little too many horror movies early in the month. Uh, then we hit that film fest wall. We were just watching like a ton of movies in the theater for about a week solid. Uh, Two a day on some days. It was an incredible number of movies. <laughs> and then like towards the end of the month, we started watching the kind of movies we're going to be talking about today, which are more like horror comedies and like spooky kids movies. And uh, this is definitely more of a wind down than like last episode when we were talking about like some real slashers and like some genuine terror. Halloween three, season of the witch, <laughs> slumber party massacre, just to jog your memory. Yeah, this is more of a uh, just a cooling off. Um, we're still going to try to keep it a little spooky, just because that is the kind of movies you watch around this time of year. Yeah, but uh, chill, chill but spooky. So uh, next time we come back, we're going to actually do a full roundup of everything we saw at New Orleans Film Fest. Um, Hopefully we'll remember all the details by then. It was a lot of stuff <laughs> to watch all in a row. But uh, besides stuff we saw at Film Fest, have you seen anything since last time we talked that was particularly memorable? Uh, I did go to the theaters to see Girl Asleep, um, which was this Australian film that was based on a play. Uh, it was kind of a coming-of-age story. It's very, uh, I think you could accuse it of being twee. It's very stylized. It's very much in the vein of Wes Anderson, but... Uh, a awkward Australian girl who either lives in present day and Australia's just stuck in the 80s or it's actually set in the 80s. I wasn't 100% sure which. <laughs> um, she uh, moves to a new town and her family throws her a surprise birthday party against her will. During the birthday party, she uh, touches this music box and gets an electric shock and then falls asleep and wakes up in this magical land where she has to get the music box back in order to go home to her awkward, awkward family. Um, it was really fun. There was some cool dance scenes. There was some really cool like creature costumes of the like denizens of the uh, alternate universe. Uh, but yeah, what do you think about it, Brandon? I liked it. it. It reminded me a lot of Michelle Gondry. I know you mentioned Wes Anderson as well, but mm-hmm. uh, that that dream imagery Michelle Gondry has, where it's all handmade uh, yeah. physical objects, it's like paper mache. Like it looks like a kid could have made it, but it's like way too complicated. Yeah, and uh, she they did that thing um, that Michelle Gondry does, where it's stop motion, but it's live characters. Mm-hmm. So it's like it is like three D people in the flesh, but the camera does that like stop uh, motion imagery, and it's like really uh, fun to watch. Like it was like an uplifting film. But I really liked how the dream imagery wasn't really separate from the reality. Like, no, like, even before the music box scene where she goes into an alternate dimension, like, she does not see reality like we do. <laughs> yeah. I think I think a lot of people are, like, down on, like, whimsy and, like, like you said, yeah, twee culture. Yeah, if you don't like twee, you're not gonna like it. Like, if you, like, go, blah, Belle and Sebastian, get them out of here, then, no, you probably won't like this. And even if you do like Belle and Sebastian, maybe you still wouldn't like it. I don't know. But. I thought it was great. Honestly, it was like one of the more like uh, satisfied, like satiated feelings, uh, sated feelings I've had like leaving the theater this year. Like yeah. I left the theater like just feeling like that was a really good, like, kind of like Hunt for the Wilder People almost. Like it was just like an all around like engaging film, and I just felt really good about it when it was over. Yeah, yeah. I know there was there's some really cute scenes in that. Anything else you caught? 
Uh, well, uh, at one of the aforementioned cocktail parties that we went to, costume slash cocktail parties, uh, we did watch the vast majority of Hellraiser 2 on mute. Um, yeah, there's like rock and fun. roll music playing in the background while Hellraiser was playing on, uh, Hellbound was playing on the TV. Yeah, originally there was something else on and, and the person throwing the party was like, no, that's not the right movie. I'm putting, <laughs> I don't care what anyone else says, I'm putting on Hellraiser. And then the party just kind of like, <laughs> it didn't stop, it didn't like get boring or anything, but everyone just like kind of like moved their conversations closer to the television so we could all could watch Hellraiser together even though it was on mute with no subtitles. I definitely have seen the first Hellraiser before and I've seen some of the sequels so I kind of assumed I had seen Hellraiser 2 but the imagery in this is so striking like the practical effects are so gross but like in a beautiful like intricate sensuous way. way. Oh yeah it's a very sensual movie uh but I don't think I've ever actually sat down to watch it. It was like a really beautiful, like, handmade piece. Yeah, no, like, the reason why I've never watched Hellraiser movies is because, like, the VHS box, like, scared me as a child because I was extremely terrified of everything as a kid. So I never bothered to watch it. But now watching it, like, I, I seeing it, you know, in a very uh, public setting with a lot of people, you know, I didn't feel as spooked. I feel like I could probably watch that. Not that I still get spooked. I mean, it's not like an episode of Skins terrified me and made me stay up all night with a baseball bat, you know, <laughs> just in case somebody wanted to come after me with a baseball bat. I mean, that never happened. Um, I'm an adult. I don't get scared of the dark. I'm sure the party setting might maybe helped a little bit. Like I think it did. <laughs> yeah. If you were watching that alone in the dark, I, I, it definitely might have played a little creepier. Yeah. Um, I've been to the theater a couple times besides going to see Girl Asleep. I went to see um, American Honey which was this um, this uh, British director. She did that um, Wuthering Heights adaptation that everyone was really high on a couple years With ago. Kaya Scarlett, I don't know how to pronounce her last name, from Skins. Yeah, oh, there you go. Skins crossover. Um, it was uh, sort of touted to be this like very divisive experience where you're supposed to have this ecstatic reaction. Either you really love it or you really hate it. And it's like this three-hour indie movie starring Shia LaBeouf with a rat tail and it's like all these kids uh, in this like unscripted journey across America to sell magazines that they don't really care about it's like magazine subscriptions and they basically just like listen to the same rap songs over and over again and like smoke weed and just kind of like waste away uh, and it has this uh, the 4-3 aspect ratio so it's like almost like a squared off television image uh, which is kind of like difficult to look at uh, for three hour runtime, actually, Girl Asleep had the same thing, but it was a little less distracting in that one. There's, theirs was four three. I thought, uh, I thought American Honey was actually a square, like an Instagram frame. Uh, it might be. I'm not sure. I, I, I thought, I thought they looked the same to me, but I'm not an expert in aspect ratios. But it, it is a little uh, more obvious in this one because you are watching a three hour film that's like a lot of beauty shots like uh there'll just be a shot of a single daisy on the side of a highway or like uh hair blowing in the van yeah it like really tests your patience i would say even more so than girls sleep for like just aesthetic as like cinematic experience aesthetic is aesthetic content let's let's discuss no actually not maybe not let's, not discuss. let's not discuss so i just expected to either love or hate this movie based on what i heard about it and it was a weird way to be disappointed by a film because after like putting in all the effort i was just like that was okay 
I was never bored by it, but I didn't, like, engage with it very strongly, either positive or negatively. That's so weird, because just hearing the description, I hate that movie. <laughs> it might win you over a little bit. Maybe. But not or... enough to, like, make it worthwhile, I don't Ooh, think. Yeah, like, it might win me over, like, from hate to, like, nonchalance. <laughs> I think that's why I, I get, like, more into watching these sort of dumb genre films, uh, like, I'd be more willing to sit down and watch Hell, Hellbound uh, a second time, uh, just because, like, the thrills are easy, easily accessible, and I know what to expect from it. But with, like, American Honey, you have to, like, put in all this effort, and if it comes out on the other end that you just thought it was okay, then why is that more worthwhile than, like, a genre film? Yeah. Um, I know what I'm getting into with a genre film. Like, yeah. If I hate it, okay, big deal. I can just be like, oh, well, it was a terribly made horror film, big deal. But There's if, a bunch of those. If you do want to see a, a half-naked Shia LaBeouf, it's probably the best movie of the year for you, so maybe check that out. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and I went back uh, to see Ouija Origin of Evil, which is a prequel to this awful CGI horror film from a couple years ago. But this one's directed by Mike Flanagan, who did Oculus and Hush, which are these two like efficient little horror movies uh, from the past couple years. Um, they're, they're a little smaller. Like I saw those on Netflix, so it was kind of interesting to go see one of this guy's movies on the big screen. And it was just a fun throwback. It's like set in the '60s. It's about a haunted board game. Um, basically, anything you would expect out of a haunted house movie happens in this one. But uh, Flanagan has this way of like making it entertaining and kind of like I was saying about American Honey. He knows how to deliver the genre thrills. So like I can check off boxes. Like yes, I enjoyed. I enjoyed that. That's what I expected, and it was delivered well and without effort. Um, and they also did this kind of neat thing where they uh, did digital recreations of cigarette burns for the real changes every like twenty minutes or so. Which was kind of cool, because, um, you know, it's not something I've seen since I was a little kid in theater, so it was yeah, like a, a nice, nice warm, watching a classic horror movie feeling, which there really weren't a lot of those kinds of experiences this month at, at the cinema, I don't think. No, actually, it was kind of a dry month as far as horror movies in the theaters. There was like a couple movies in February, there was one movie that came out in September, Blair Witch... But not a huge number in yeah, October this year. I guess they're kind of moving towards the summer because they want like kids uh, to catch it um, when they're off school. Yeah. Uh, they did have Boo and Medea Halloween's been like topping the box office the past That's couple true. weeks. Did you go see that one? No, I haven't seen that yet. Maybe that'll be next year. I'm kind of over Halloween right now. Okay. Yeah, <laughs> yeah I kind of figured you'd see that one. So. And uh, yeah, like I said <laughs> earlier, like we're kind of lightening up on like the horror stuff right now. We discussed the. Um, five most iconic uh, witch movies from the 80s and 90s that we could think of. For children. For children, yeah. So we skipped over stuff like The Craft, and you'll hear us talk about that a little bit. Um, and for that conversation, our friend Virginia came by. Um, she is going to be tabling at this year's NoCast Festival with um, Girl Scouts, which is uh, spelled like Riot Girl, like G-R-R-L. She's going to be uh, contributing to their zine, uh, The Girl Scouts Guide. And she'll also be selling buttons at their table. Um, and before we get into our witches conversation with her, we are going to be doing our Movie of the Minute segment. Uh, and this time we are talking about 1990s horror comedy Frankenhooker. And all of that's coming up to you right now. Oh, Jeffrey. I'm worried about you. Yeah, well, so am I, Ma. Something's happening to me that I just don't understand. I can't think straight anymore. Like my reasoning is all uh, twisted and distorted, you know? 
I seem to be disassociating myself from reality more and more each day. I'm antisocial. I'm becoming dangerously amoral. I've lost the ability to distinguish between right from wrong, good from bad. I'm scared, Ma. I mean, I feel like sometimes I'm, I'm plunging headfirst into some kind of black void of sheer, utter madness or something. Do you want a sandwich? No, thanks. There's a little egg salad left in the refrigerator. I mean, really, it's no trouble. No, really, I'll get my own dinner tonight. Thank you. And now it's time for our Movie of the Minute segment. This is where we bounce back and forth recommending films to each other that we've never seen before. Uh, last time we were here, uh, I made CC watch uh, Halloween 3, Season of the Witch. And now it's her turn to make me watch something. And she made me watch Frankenhooker from 1990. CC, what is Frankenhooker? Okay, so I first watched Frankenhooker uh, from behind a couch. Uh, my mom and my Uncle Nat were watching it, I believe, and I snuck in the living room and was, like, watching it over their shoulders. I'm pretty sure they probably knew I was there. <laughs> Not really a sneaky child. Um, and I have always been able to very vividly remember the opening scene from this, although I remember it completely different from how it actually is. But... Frankenhooker is a movie from the same person, people, who made Basket Case. Um, it is a schlocky, poorly made in the vein of a trauma film horror movie where the protagonist uh, loses his girlfriend or fiance to a terrible automatic riding lawnmower uh, accident, uh, and her body is destroyed. The only thing they recover is her head. And so, in a mad, true mad scientist, uh, you know, uh, vein, he decides to rebuild her body, uh, but he needs to find the most beautiful women who no one would miss, and he brilliantly comes up with the idea of using prostitutes. Uh, so he drives from New Jersey to Times Square, and they do show Times Square in its true seedy glory, pre uh, Giuliani, pre Giuliani, uh, and he pays a bunch of hookers to. Uh, party with him, and then he gives them this super crack that he made uh, that causes them to explode, and then he gathers up all the body parts and uh, rebuilds his girlfriend using those body parts, and then things kind of start to go awry once he's actually, like, uh, revitalized her or, you know, reanimated her. Um, in the so classic what is, Mary Shelley tradition. <laughs> in the classic Mary Shelley tradition, you know. Uh, so, uh, what did you think of this movie, Brandon? Oh man, there's so much I love about it, and then so much of it is so skeevy, it's hard to like... The sex politics of this movie are atrocious. They are disgusting. And it's hard to tell where the movie lands on that. Like, you spend the first, I want to say almost hour, hanging out with this guy... He's terrible. ...who is basically like a 14-year-old boy's id. Like, he's obsessed with female body parts in like a like science experiment way the way that like a young child is like there's uh, all these weird shots of him like looking at the prostitute's breast through a magnifying glass and being like ooh what is this and, like inspecting their bodies using calipers to like measure like their nipple size be like ah this is the ideal areola to nipple to breast ratio but after all like the the like 
literal objectification of women where they become objects like there's scenes where there's like breasts on plates in his lab and like these buckets full of like ladies legs and stuff and this is before he, he assembles all that into a single um person after all of that objectification then you get frankenhooker um, and the film does a very intentional thing where it points out how vulnerable it is to be a prostitute. There's this... Um, yeah, you might get blown up. <laughs> like, that's <laughs> that's a legitimate thing you should fear. There's this uh, Donahue-style talk show called Motormouth in the film where they're, like, uh, sort Which of reminds me a lot of Motormouth Mabel. <laughs> What's Motormouth Mabel? I mean, From Hairspray? Oh, okay. She's yeah, radio yeah. DJ. Yeah. So, like, uh, there's a talk show where they're... Um, basically discussing like the dangers of sex work and like how vulnerable it makes you and actually that gives him the idea which is pretty fucked up but later in the film you get frankenhooker who's like the sex worker who fights back like uh she just throws johns into traffic uh when she kisses them they explode the same way that the hookers who smoke the super crack explode she she's still uh I guess being powered by electricity, so her like kiss is deadly and like causes them to become electrocuted and then explode. <laughs> but yeah, I like how she's like this ready to go male ideal. Like uh, she walks down the street in this manic way, where she's like, "Want a date? Need some company? Want a date?" Just sort of like has these pee wee facial tics and like uh, is this comic character, but she's also this like revenge, like singularly singularly contained revenge plot for all of the um, sex workers in the film because she's all of their individual parts and she sort of puts this guy in his place and all the other people who um, abuse them. There's this uh, character, Zorro, who's like this bathroom pimp, um, uh, sort of like Hans and Franz from SNL. He's like this ridiculous caricature of uh, like European muscle dudes. And I, I think the movie's kind of at war with itself a little bit because like before you get to her and she's like in the last 30 minutes... It's it's like, am I supposed to identify with this guy? Does this movie actually hate women? Like, he's even mean to his own mom. He's like, she never shuts her yap. Yeah, and, and before Frankenhooker, uh, before she's tragically killed, before Elizabeth is tragically killed by the lawnmower, everyone keeps pointing out how she's fat. Would really, she's a skinny actress in a fat suit, and it's very obvious, but, like, this 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 tragedy gives him the opportunity to remake her in his own image. Like, mm-hmm. oh, man, now I don't have to have a fat fiancé. I can have any kind of fiancé I want. And they don't hide what he wants. He's like, I want a thinner uh, fiancé. I, I want a playboy buddy. I want a thinner fiancé with bigger breasts. Actually, uh, Patty Mullen, uh, who plays Frankenhooker, was a penthouse model. Oh, so, so yeah, he it, wants a penthouse model. He wants model. a porn star. Yeah. And he gets his comeuppance from that. Yeah. Uh, but, like, with a lot of, like, 70s and 80s revenge flicks, like, there's so much it's, indulgence in the uh, offense that it's hard to say that the movie takes more delight in the uh, in the comeuppance end of it but I, I think this movie does go so ridiculously cartoonish in the revenge half in the, in the back end where things do get really monstrous and all of his like his plans go awry in this way where it is like satisfying I, d- I do wish we had just had more time to spend with Frankenhooker herself because she's yeah. the coolest part of the movie by yeah, far definitely not the mad scientist he is not that cool also like i feel like the movie does give you a little bit of a tell because after he brings her back and like once she's like back to herself and like remembers things and is no longer saying want a date uh, <laughs> on loop uh once he like can actually converse with her he's like oh i did this for you you know you couldn't have made this choice for yourself so i made it for you but this is really what's best for us both 
And then later, once he gets his comeuppance, she gives him the exact same speech verbatim. She's like, no, baby, like, I did this because I care about you, and I think this is what's best for us both. And, you know, obviously she's being very sarcastic when she says that. <laughs> but even that comeuppance hasn't aged well politically. Oh, no, no, that his comeuppance is disturbing and gross and not okay yeah no no it did not age well whatsoever <laughs> but i just love this movie anyway okay it's terrible so we're saying all this stuff about the movie's politics and it is like an early 90s trauma style trauma style film so that was never gonna be no that was never gonna age well uh i will say that as far as like the violence against women goes in the movie they abstract it in such a cartoonish way that it's like legitimately fun to watch Basic. People blow up like it's the 4th of July, like they're like fireworks or something. Like, Do you remember the um, hamster scene in Rock and Roll High School? Yes. Where they play the, the, the rock and roll music too loud and the hamster explodes? Yes. That's what this uh, super crack does. Like he takes all these um, sex workers to this one motel room and like we said earlier, he's kind of measuring them for what body parts to use uh, in his like cocktail he's going to make. And then immediately when he whips out this bag of cartoonishly oversized like crack boulders they're not even crack rocks they're just like huge like like baseball size yeah rock candy crystals they immediately recognize what it is even though it's not a real thing that's ever happened in the real world they're like oh my god it's drugs it's super drugs and they immediately start smoking crack and like breaking it apart with tiny hammers to like <laughs> get them to fit into their little like glass like stems yeah and it's actually a really realistic depiction of what smoking crack looks like which which was of all the cartoonish things in the film it's like wow that actually does that's what smoking crack looks like i didn't expect them to like be that explicit about it and as soon as they smoke the crack they explode like the hamster in rock and roll high school but the way the film does it is instead of doing these like the thing like body horror special effects where it's like hyper realistic stuff that you're used to seeing from the 80s and 90s they do these cuts to mannequins that are dressed as the characters and then they explode and there's these obviously like almost clay mannequins and it looks so fake but the movie dwells on them before they explode so that there's no mistake that you're not watching not a human watching. body yeah no it's very obvious it's a mannequin and like the paper mache like will break open in the chest and a fireball will come shooting out <laughs> or you know like the head will like still kind of be hanging on by paint or, like, a few, like, you know, like, strands of something, and, like, will then topple off, like, slowly to the floor, but you can see the inside of the mannequin, like, before that <laughs> happens, like, the white chunks of, you know, paper mache or plaster or whatever it's made of. It's like, so dry. Like, there's no blood. No, there's no blood. <laughs> uh, Afterwards, there's some blood, but, like, for the most part, no, these body parts just, like, fly off like they're, like, chunks of ham or something. Yeah, like, if you're gonna explode ham. a room full of women in, a t in an enclosed space... There You'd expect like this wet, everywhere. yeah, <laughs> but it's literally just like piles of body parts in this like cartoonish fashion. I, I like how it's abstracted like that, and it's so ridiculous that you have to laugh at it. I mean, the movie is having fun, yeah. But at the, on the other end of that, um, when it's not him like harming women, it's these other experiments he have he has. They do go grotesque with it. There's this brain he keeps in a jar. That's this literal, just like floating brain with an eyeball attached to it. 
It looks really gross. He lobotomizes it at one point to get it to behave better. <laughs> the spare parts of the women um, that he doesn't use for his ideal version of his fiance. Um, he plans on putting back together. He totally intends on putting them back together later, <laughs> minus the parts he used, but he doesn't quite get around to it. So they accidentally get activated the same way that her body does, and they turn into this Cronenberg mess where it's just a bunch of connected limbs and eyes and mouths. It's hideous to watch. He has them all in like a, a freezer full mm-hmm. of this like estrogen-based serum that will keep them like vital, and... That whole freezer gets electrocuted when he's making Frankenhooker with the lightning. And so whatever configuration they were in when they were just dumped unceremoniously into this freezer is how they come out. And it's just like flesh lumps. Yeah, it's like a writhing mess of just like not human. No, (laughs) no. Very few torsos, surprisingly. He didn't bring the torsos home, I guess. He must have left them behind. Oh, you're right. It's all limbs. Maybe those were harder to put back together. Uh, Mm. But I, I like that end of it. Like, the uh, the violence in the film is so fun to watch. And I would even say after the first half hour, the sex politics get a little easier to stomach because he is... He becomes more deranged and unhinged and yeah. is, like, pursuing... He's no longer someone you can even vaguely identify with. Like, to get, like, a thrill, he likes to take a very narrow drill bit and drill into his own brain. Yeah, he has, like, this phrenology um, model that he has where he maps out what parts of his brains will inspire... Creative thought. Creative thought. And, like, orgasms. Or, yeah, to calm himself down. And that's another thing. When he drills into his head, you would think that would be this gross scene, but it's, again, dry. Dry and bloodless. Yeah, and there's just, like... None of it feels anywhere near reality. Like, this is such an obvious fantasy piece that... um, it could have been a lot more exploitative and gross. Like, there's a version of Frankenhooker where it would be both icky, the way we were saying earlier, and icky in, like, a leering at violence against women way, where it would be totally impossible to stomach. No. But no. this is actually, like, a yeah, fun movie to watch. Yeah, no, this is... It's stupidly fun. Like, as long as you don't take this seriously, these are not our viewpoints. We don't feel this way about women <laughs> or sex workers. But... If you just like dumb violence, you know, it's pretty good. <laughs> yeah. And, and Frankenhooker herself really is just so fucking cool. She's hilarious. Yeah. The peewee facial tics where her mouth just like jolts in these like odd Rawr. directions. Like, like a uh, screw face from like Crybaby or yeah. something. Or Hatchet Face, sorry. Or the um, character from Hocus Pocus. Uh, the, uh, the yeah. Uh, Kathy Johnny's uh, character. Yeah. I always forget her name. We always mess up her name. <laughs> Uh, also, she's um, got this purple bikini she wears. Um, all of her body parts are of different ethnicities and skin tones. So her, her body doesn't really match up, uh, which looks kind of cool. And then she's got this like stark white Bride of Frankenstein makeup on her face. And I really like that uh, her comic timing where she's like, want a date? Looking for some action? Want some company? Want a date? Like, she's so good at it. Uh, and she does like the stumbling around stiff Frankenstein body. She's the best actress. Like, she's the best, like, person acting in this. Like, all the rest of the acting's pretty mediocre. Like, the main guy, he's he's okay. Like, he, he's he's serviceable. He's a this weird amalgamation of, like, John Cusack and, uh, I don't know, like, Andrew McCarthy and, like, a couple other, like, 80s dreamboat types, but he's just, like, a creepier version of them. He's definitely a product of the 80s, that oh, guy. Oh, yeah, no. Like, he, he probably wouldn't have, like, been able to, like, play that character if it wasn't the 80s. <laughs> 
if he was like 20 years younger and was trying to play that part in like the late 90s like no one would have cast him <laughs> but yeah I, I, I like it once I can uh, sort of detach myself with like what is this film trying to say uh, once you get to that scene I don't care what the film has to say the film has nothing useful to say well once you get to the scene where they're smoking super crack in the <laughs> motel none of that matters anymore no uh, it's just like an uneasy start like I could see starting this movie by myself and like maybe 20 minutes in being like what am I doing and maybe even switch the channel but um but it, I was making you watch it so you had to watch the whole thing <laughs> I, I I trusted once we got to that uh, super crack scene that this was something I needed to see. And I did really enjoy it. And I could totally watch it again now that I know. Like, I'd probably get more enjoyment out of the first half now that I know where it's going and how awesome the, the revenge half of the film is. You know, because you kind of expect when something that gross to, like, leer at violence and assault in a, in a way that the movie never does. Yeah. And it really it really does make it explicit... Uh, during that motor mouth segment that it recognizes that these women are usual targets in real life and it it brings it back around to sort of empower them to like in this like superhuman way to destroy the people that target them yeah. uh, through this Frankenhooker um, surrogate <laughs> and I don't know I could watch that last 30 minutes I just wish it was a little longer but I could watch that last 30 minutes on loop because it is really fun um, anything else you wanted to say about it? No, I will say that uh, in the actual version of the movie, uh, during the lawnmower scene, it is filmed from the party goer's uh, point of view, but the version that I've lived with since I was like three or four, I remember that scene very vividly from the lawnmower's point of view, <laughs> as it's like eating his fiance. so... Did you um, make it to the end? Where, oh, like... I highly doubt it. Oh, okay. I was like three. Like, right. there's no way. I don't think I made it past that first scene. I saw that, was horrified, probably started crying, and like, you know, revealed myself hiding behind the couch because <laughs> uh, I was very scared of everything. Uh, and then I uh, was probably sent to bed. <laughs> yeah, that estrogen serum Cronenberg freezer monster. Yeah, that probably wouldn't have gone over so well. Yeah, so. that's like the nightmare shit. That's the truly nightmare <laughs> stuff. The, the lawnmower eating the fiance is gross, but... And even that is like literally uh, these sex workers getting their revenge on both their pimp and this guy who Created fed them, them. Yeah, fed them uh, faulty drugs uh, under a false pretense. So yeah, I, I I really had a lot of fun watching this movie once I uh, calmed the fuck down, like what it was trying to do and what it was trying to say. Just ignore uh, what it's trying to do. Ignore yeah. what it's trying to say. If you if you like uh, trauma movies, like I I I'd say this is up there with their best stuff with like Class of Newcomb High and, and stuff like that. Um, without getting nearly as gross as those films do. Um, yeah, because I can't watch trauma films; they're too gross for me. So Frankenhooker's like. Trauma light. I think Class of Newcomb High is pretty similar to this. Like, you might be able to get into that. And it's also got, like, tainted weed that, oh, uh, no. that like, fucks people up in the same way the Super Crack does. Um, but, yeah, check it out. I believe it's pretty easily to be found. You can you can get cheap DVD copies. It's probably streaming on YouTube in some shitty quality. It's around. It's around. Real witches are quite bold, although of course they wear wigs. 
that itch and cause them scalp rash. Do you know what scalp rash is? No. Itching under the wig must drive them crazy. They look quite hideous behind their human face masks and can only be distinguished from ordinary women if you are sharp enough to spot the purple tinge to their eyes. Real witches have no toes. Their feet have square ends, revolting stumps where their toes should be. So they never wear pointed or pretty shoes, just plain, sensible shoes. Remember these things. And now it's time for our feature conversation. Uh, we're recording this on Halloween night. Joining us for this is our really good friend, Virginia, one of our favorite people in the whole world. Hi. Yay. <laughs> uh, we are going to be talking about witches. This kind of feels like a weird little incantation or something. It's just three people. Huddled around a microphone. Yeah. <laughs> the lighting could be a little better. Spooky. <laughs> could get some candles going or something. Today we're just going to be talking about witch movies from the 80s and 90s, specifically made for kids. I guess we skipped over some stuff that you could consider in this category, like maybe um, Escape to Witch Mountain or Bed Knobs and Broomsticks. Uh, I guess The Craft would be a little older than yeah. the stuff we're aiming for here. Uh, so this is a very specific like subset of like witch movies. And the first one on the list is from 1986, uh, the year of my birth, <laughs> uh, The Worst Witch. I grew up with this film on VHS. It was one of the only tapes they had at my daycare. So we used to watch this like off season a lot. Year round. Yeah, just like really odd times. Um, along with like Pee Wee's Big Adventure and Killer Clowns from Outer Space and Don't Tell Mom the Babysitter's Dead. Uh, most of those are probably inappropriate for a, a young child, but this one is, is probably right to grow up with it. Uh, for all those movies you hear about, like the Goonies and stuff, stuff like that, where nostalgia is like a really big part of their um, their folklore, this movie, The Worst Witch, is definitely a nostalgia film. Best known for the meme of Tim Curry singing the song Anything Can Happen on Halloween against a green screen. It's a hilarious three to five minute clip of just insanity. And the very basic plot of it is what you get out of Harry Potter even though it came out decades before. It's this witch school yeah. in England. Uh, there's this one witch who's not very good. Her first day of class, she screws up spectacularly and gets upshone by her other classmates. And then over the course of the movie, she turns out that she has like the strongest heart and uh, maybe even the most powerful magic, even though she's not very... just never a lot of finesse in how she does it. How did y'all feel about watching The Worst Witch in 2016? Oof. It's very difficult to find a copy of it in good quality because I'm guessing there just isn't a copy of it in good quality because yeah. it was originally filmed for yeah. television. I wonder if it exists. Yep. So it is just terribly grainy to the point where it's almost unwatchable like to our standards now like i'm used to like high def and like even youtube videos it's a it's good. a it's firmly in that yeah like lo-fi just the dvd transfer we have looks like a bad vhs tape like it yeah. looks like a vhs tape that's already been watched to to shit <laughs> they didn't do anything to to polish nah. it up for the disc absolutely not and the uh, extras but. on the dvd are it's tips on making spells um, in like oh old God. storybook style so like it's an interactive feature where you just click like next frame and it just like gives you like a wall of text so it, I don't know this was obviously like rushed to market for wow. the few poor souls who like remember the movie fondly 
Yeah, they needed to have it. You know, maybe they were daycare centers that needed to have <laughs> new copies. <laughs> so their VHSs finally wore out. Yeah. Did y'all grow up with this movie at all? I, yeah, I was just trying to think of the first time I saw it. I remember, I think, clips of the TV show because I remember when someone hyped, like, mentioned that there was some series, like, the, the, mentioned Harry Potter for the first time. I was like, but I think that that already exists. There's already some TV show, but I don't remember that I watched it that much, and I definitely don't remember the movie. Yeah. But I watched I, the TV show. Yeah. I watched it when I was slightly probably too old for it, but uh, the first time like I lived in a household that had like regular TV, uh, it would come on HBO, and HBO was like the good channel after yeah. school. Like There oh, was yeah. like fairy tales from around the world, and there was The Worst Witch. Didn't they have Eureka's Castle, too? Not uh, when I was watching HBO. HBO. No, no. Well, I had Eureka's Castle. Maybe know. it was earlier. Maybe maybe it already like stopped on HBO by the time I watched. Well, it. this movie was made for British television, mm-hmm. uh, and then it yes. aired in um, in tandem on HBO in America, and then it turned into a Canadian television show. Yeah. So it's kind of like all over the place. Whoa. Um, and the the British movie stars Feruza Balk, who oh. later played a witch in. Uh, the craft. The craft, of course. Like and a is a real life pagan. Yeah, she she is pr- pretty much like the closest thing to a witch when I try to conjure one in my mind as yeah. far as like Hollywood personalities go. Um, and she's really cute in this movie. Like she's a bumbling fool. Yeah. But she's uh, you kind of have to enjoy the characters like hers more so than anything else that's going on here because it is so cheaply made. Yeah, and it's you know it's, it's the classic setup of like. They don't want you to like the mean, popular, smart girl, but you know what? She like is smart and she works. Hard. I mean, you know what I mean? She she's does work like, really hard. She's not like a vapid villain, no. really. But no, they she like works really super want you to hard. hate her. <laughs> I read it like Harry Potter. Like I read it as class. Like she's like a rich witch. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. And uh, okay. Feruza Balk is poor. She like she, her broom's all tattered. Uh, that, yeah, yeah. She even had like she had to get a broom from her. Right. Yeah. yeah. And then, uh, yeah, she curses the broom so that yes. she embarrasses herself in front of the Grand Wizard. Which they should not have called him that. No, there's a some... terrible s- choice in names. Some very strong KKK vibes coming from that name. Um, but, yeah, that Tim Curry set piece that anything can happen on Halloween is one of the most beautiful, like, 80s, uh, just trash. <laughs> Bizarre. Just strange use of green screen technology the music was composed by this guy um charles strauss who also wrote the music for bye bye birdie and annie which is insane because the songs here are like not particularly good no there's a scene in anything can happen on halloween where tim curry goes has anyone seen my tambourine and he's holding his own goddamn tambourine (laughs) like what and the movie, the movie is a musical. Like, there's at least three or four songs, but that's the only memorable one. Yeah. There's this uh, song that the evil witches in the forest are singing. That first of all sounds way too nice and cutesy for yeah. like a villain to be singing, but it's not memorable at all. Like, I couldn't sing you any so, of it. So, so I watched this movie on Friday, and I can't recall that witch song at Isn't all. Isn't that weird? There's the kid song where it's like growing, growing up. up. Isn't easy. <laughs> okay, that's a good song. I'll take that back. Right, but that's but, the opening theme song. So also, you could tell this guy wrote Annie because that song sounds like it's like an oh, Annie yeah, throwaway. Right. Yeah. Oh. That sounds like a song that didn't make Annie, so exactly. you just kind of toss yeah, it in this exactly. film. I don't know. I like the uh, classroom potions. I like uh, yes. which is like directly pulled like in Harry Potter. Oh like, yeah. 
like almost identically like oh man we don't remember how to make this potion let's just make it up oh we made it wrong and now the whole class is laughing at us <laughs> yeah and now we're this thing that's like actually advantageous to the plot we're like invisible or we're yeah. you know we turn into somebody else or yeah yeah it's totally borrowed and uh, I like the uh, stupid um, phrases that they used for the spells. There's um, Humpty Dumpty Yakety Yak uh, and uh. a uh, Mumbo Jumbo Lickety Poo. Um, really? Just really like tossed off in like a half second. Like no thought went into it. But I, I like these kind of things that it seems like it was made really cheaply and not to have any kind of cultural longevity. And people do still share scenes from this film on like you on like YouTube and Facebook every year. It's kind of kind of stuck around longer than it probably deserved yeah yeah they did not write it or film it in any way like intending it for to be a cultural artifact and yet it somehow is surviving and thriving (laughs) oh yeah and i guess the only other thing uh that's kind of like relevant today is diana rigg from game of thrones she's like the older matronly uh lady olinia yeah Is, is that her name She's the Queen of Thorns. Yeah, and she's like the headmistress in this film, and she plays her own evil twin sister, which is kind of interesting. Yeah. No, I like the twin sister. I like all the punks in the woods. Her- yeah, they, they're kind of like glam punk witches. Yeah. yeah. Like, if if uh, if the lady from Game of Thrones, if Diana Riggs wasn't playing her, I could see uh, maybe uh, Marianne Faithful playing the same character. Oh, yeah, that would be great. Because... The gravelly, gravelly voice, you know, <laughs> songs, you know. But, I don't know, and there's, like, entire tangents where, like, they'll just play hide-and-seek for, like, five minutes. Like, the movie wastes its own time, even though it's, like, only 70 minutes long. Yeah! It feels very short, but at the same time, like, you you also feel like it took too much of your time Yeah, scenes like that. Yeah. Well, um, as far as, like, vapidity, vapidity goes, uh, Teen Witch would be the next one on the list uh, from three years later, 1989. Uh, just as vapid of a movie, but huge step in quality. Um, made for teenage girls, uh, whereas Worst Witch was probably a little younger. This, uh, also famous for a um, musical number, Top That. Uh, it's a r- delirious rap battle uh, that sort of stops the plot dead in its tracks halfway into the film. But it is a beautifully inane moment. Um <laughs> So this movie is a young teen girl. I think she turns 15 and discovers that she has witch powers. She starts having these wet dreams at the beginning of the film. And that's when she starts discovering these like changes. And uh, Zelda Rubenstein from uh, Poltergeist oh, yes. basically guides her hand as she um, makes the transition into being a magical being. Uh, what I really like about this movie is that this girl abandons her best friend who they're both kind of losers together yes she abandons her best friend she puts a spell on this jock to fall in love with her and so that she'll become the most popular girl in school and that's the point of the film and at no point is there any real negative repercussion like it gets a little annoying that people are copying her but there's no like big reconciliation with her and her friend at the end everyone's just kind of happy that this change came about and she's like a better person at the end of the film because she like cheated the system through magic yeah, I guess she had to. She had to like set up this lesson for herself. I feel like there's a but, little reconciliation with her with her friend. Like she she didn't have to set up this lesson for herself, but like that that's it. That's all that happened was like she had this little like realization, like oh maybe I shouldn't mess with people, but like nothing else. But yeah. then she she like decided to keep the magic and like continue doing all the stuff. Like she never took the spell off the guy. She does though. Uh, I don't think so. No, she takes the spell. Maybe off. she takes the spell off the guy, but there's no like. 
the world doesn't like crumble around her. There's no like big conversation with her and her friend. Like her friend's That's like, true. "Hey, you ditched me," and she's like, "Yeah." She, I guess and she then apologizes. They never, but they never get back together. They never like see each other again. They just have this one fight where her friend like confronts her about becoming popular, and she's like, "Well, I'm popular now." Yeah, I feel like they just don't have enough time. I don't know. I do feel like, like a scene was cut. A up. scene is yeah. missing there for sure. But I like how delirious and like uh, Reagan era this feels. Oh yeah, yeah. Like oh, for sure, it's about like getting beautiful clothes and like getting the hot person and like feeling good about yourself and getting being popular. What you want. Yeah, it's a really good wish. I don't get what I want. It's like if Ayn Rand made a witch movie. Now that I think about it, just like abandon everybody, turn your brother into a dog. Your brother deserves to be a dog. Yeah, her brother's played by Joshua John Miller, who is like king '80s creep. Yeah. Uh, He's in Near Dark. He plays a very old, four, I think like he's a 400-year-old vampire in the body of a 10-year-old, you know? And in this film, he feels like a vampire in the body of a 10-year-old. He's got these deep, sunken eyes and just this weird, like, almost perverted way of talking. Very unsettling child. And she turns him into a pig? Or a dog? A dog. A dog. A dog. A dog! Because yeah. oh, yeah, he calls her a dog. Yeah. A dog. A dog. <laughs> no one will ever like you. And besides him and uh, Zelda Rubenstein, there's also Marcia Wallace from um, The Simpsons, and, and Nick Robopel is, like, her nice teacher. Yeah. And uh, kind of the same thing there. She, like, rigs the lottery so that her teacher will become famous and uh, rich and get a nice new boy toy husband. Yeah. And there's no negative repercussion for that. Like, she's just happier. Yeah, yeah. I loved that. It was she's just so... like, well, I'm moving to South America <laughs> with my tall, dark, and handsome, like, romance novel yeah. cover man. Like, <laughs> Peace. <laughs> I'm not teaching drama no more. Exactly. She doesn't resent her teacher for leaving, for abandoning her. No. So I feel like she sort of like ex- has that expectation of her best friend as well. Just like, aren't you happy for me, even though all this is fake? And that uh, that top that scene is her like giving her friend the power to look cool in front of other boys. Yeah. Like she like zaps. She tries. She try, yeah. She yeah. So she gives her a leg up in a that little, scene. Yeah. Yeah. But other than that, I really only see like her getting like vaguely annoyed that people are copying her style. But other than, like that seems about like the worst that happens to her. And uh, they're like hounding her. Like she can't leave her house one day. She has to like sneak out the back. Yeah. And the uh <laughs> And then there's the creepy teacher. She like makes him take his clothes off in class. Yeah. The guy is an asshole and totally deserves it. Yeah. But it's another situation where she like manipulates somebody and like it's there's a good benefit at the end of it. The car wash scene is pretty good. It's pretty excellent. Wait, what's what's that scene? So the mom throws <coughs> throws the doll that she makes of him into the washing machine. Oh yeah. And he walks through a car wash, which I'm pretty sure would kill you. Yeah. I don't think you can do that. All that all that pressured brushing and whatnot. I don't know. Yeah. I don't know. It, it's it's weirdly staged i think he gets like waxed at the end yeah he does <laughs> <laughs> and uh he like reads her like erotic friend fiction in class i believe yeah, yeah. He, he reads this page stuck from her diary onto her assignment because, because her, her brother's sticky hands exactly. got all over it and stuck yeah. them together cake eating hands <laughs> nasty little raccoon i i really like this movie i don't know how y'all feel about it it's another one i like i grew up with so oh, i have like i definitely grew up with this oh one. yeah, this yeah. Is a good movie. really heavy yeah. nostalgia glasses that song um I like boys in the locker room is like so infectious. I like boys. Yeah. <laughs> we like boys. What? I feel like <laughs> And they're like, this is a new cheer that we're going to do at 
football games. It's like, no, it's not. You're never gonna do that chair at football games. What? Put on some lipstick. <laughs> like, what? And it's not a spooky witch movie at all. Like, it feels like mystery date, like yeah. the board game, more than it feels like any like witch. Which yeah, kind of very John stuff. Hughes. Like they saw John Hughes and they were like, "Hey, yeah. how can we adapt this to a Halloween?" Yeah, they like. There's a harvest dance on Friday the Thirteenth. Um, there's a time where they go to the movies. Uh, the two movies in the marquee are uh, "Birthday on Elm Street" and "Revenge of the Cheerleaders." Um, yeah. But those are like really tossed off. I guess Zelda Rubenstein is like the palm reader. Is like the spookiest the movie gets. Yeah. And even she's like a total sweetie in the movie. Yeah. Yeah. As she usually is. Absolutely. But again, it's a Rega era witch movie. It's not <laughs> spooky. She literally like buys like she uses the she uses Louise Miller's magic to make money. Yeah. Literally make money. <laughs> yeah. And it and, pays off. Yeah, and I feel like <laughs> And nothing bad happens to anyone who uses magic in this movie. Yeah. They just get rich. Which I wish the craft was more like that. Like I wish the girls got all that power and like it didn't crumble in on themselves. I wish it was yeah, less of a moral moralistic kind of yeah. yeah. Just like get it's you your money. Yeah, yeah, fucking get some, you know? Yeah. <laughs> uh Kiki's Delivery Service is the next one on the list, also from 1989. Um really? Yeah. Whoa. Uh this is um a Miyazaki film uh before the Disney buyout. Also not a very creepy witch movie. Uh, this is a young coming-of-age story about a girl who leaves her uh, parents' home uh, on her 13th birthday. Well, sometime at, in her 13th year. She picks the night. She decides she wants to leave on a beautiful, perfect full moon night with no clouds. And her, her mom has this kind of, like, science lab witchcraft mm-hmm. thing that she's got going on. Yeah. Uh, but her witchcraft is a lot more clumsy uh, she can barely fly in her broom, and that's one of the only things it's we can see The only thing do. she's learned how to do so far. She was 13, she didn't learn how to make potions, she didn't know how to do fortune telling, all she knows how to do is ride her broomstick, and she's not good at it. So she takes her terrible broomstick flying skills, uh, and her sarcastic cat, and flies to a new city to like forge a new identity, independent for herself. Um, and she turns her terrible flight skills into a profession and delivers goods. Uh, yeah. as kind of like a mercenary. Yeah, yeah, it's very FedEx, you know, like courier <laughs> service. She's a bike messenger, but on a broomstick. Sorry. I like uh, the crisis of this movie. It's very um, subtle and soft. I've seen it twice uh, in the past two months. I had never seen it before this year. And I really didn't get, like, I didn't get, like, what her problem to solve was. The first time I watched it felt like kind of like a hangout film. Like, she lives in this beautiful space above a bakery. Oh, yeah. Uh, the spaces are just so, like, comfy in, like, a uh, really, like, endearing way. And I just liked hanging out with the characters. And, like, Miyazaki's always really got this beautiful way of uh, animating flight. Yeah. And this is, like, a flight centric film mm-hmm. but I didn't really get what the uh, the story was until the second time I watched it which is basically like she loses her like inner inspiration halfway through the film and then she goes on like an artist retreat uh, with somebody she meets uh, a, a painter who collects crows uh, and she basically tells her like you have to find inspiration from within you can't look to all these other people to tell you what to be yeah. and then at the end she like saves the day because she finds that strength in herself yeah and the film kind of presents it as though she refines her strength because she needs to like save her love interest who's this boy she meets who's also really interested in flying albeit though through machinery and airplanes but really the scene where she refines her inspiration happens just before that where 
She meets this kindly old woman who asks her to deliver something to a snotty young grandchild of hers. And she kind of falls in love with this woman. Like, her and her servant are so wealthy and so sweet. Like, they have all these beautiful modern appliances, but they're like, ah, well, I don't like using those. So she, like, offers to help them, like, cook something in, like, their old-fashioned hearth. And just hangs out with them and, like, (laughs) cleans their house and, like, changes out all the light bulbs. Because none of them can reach them, and she can because she has a broom. Uh, and then when she like has is at her lowest and she's lost her inspiration, the old lady invites her back to her house to give her a cake to celebrate her being a witch. And she's like, "But you don't know that I can't fly. I can't break you the news that I like lost my ability to fly." So like that's like when she like realizes how important she is to everyone around her and like how like elevated she is in their eyes. And that's like kind of when she like falls back in love with like flying again. And I like that she doesn't, like, necessarily get better at flying. No, um, she's still terrible. Yeah, there's this, like, Hindenburg crash. She has to, like, save this airship from crashing and killing her, her little buddy. Uh, but in the process of saving him from the crash, she's still just as, like, bumbly and, like, but Yeah, like, crashes unsteady. into, like, people on the street. Like, keeps, like, dive-bombing, like, civilians on accident. Like, knocking things over. <laughs> like, terrible. And like going back to it a second time, I, re- I did appreciate it more once I realized what the st- what story it was trying to tell. But I still think the first viewing I had where I was just like kind of luxuriating in it was also just as much the point. The first time her buddy meets her, um, he just says to himself like, what a cool witch. <laughs> yeah. And I uh, I just kind of have that, that phrase stuck in my head every time I think about this movie. Like that just describes the film to me. I'm like, wow, she really is just a cool little witch. Yeah. Um, <laughs> But I don't really need it to be any more than that. Like, she doesn't return home at the end to no. to revisit her parents. No, she doesn't... what happens to her parents? They seemed so sad when she left. Yeah, but she just had she to, just... like, become a cool witch. Yeah, no, she's she's good. <laughs> uh, anything more to say about that before we move on? No. I mean, I don't think Miyazaki needs any help for people to go watch their movies. Like, uh, I don't know. It was one of the last roles that uh, Phil Hartman played. Yeah, in the American released, Cut. It was, it was, yeah, the American Cut wasn't released back in the 80s. It was released much later in the late 90s. Uh, and it was released posthumously after his death. Yeah. So. And he's he plays a sarcastic cat, and obviously it's a very good casting choice. I, th- I think maybe the only one since that could be compared to that is uh, Aubrey Plaza playing Grumpy Cat in that Lifetime Christmas movie. Oh, like, God. He was born for that role, and so was she. Uh, too bad we can't have a movie where they play sarcastic cats together, because I would watch the shit out of that. Um, so a year later, after Kiki and uh, Teen Witch, The Witches, executive produced by Jim Henson, based off the Roald Dahl short story, and directed by the guy who made uh, The Man Who Fell to Earth. So it's a pretty weird trio of uh, minds coming together for this one. And it is a weird movie. This boy is raised by a grandmother who lost a finger in a childhood battle against witches uh, somewhere in northern Europe. She uh, advises him about how to identify witches. They have like a purple haze to their eyes. Uh, They always wear sensible shoes because they have squared off feet without toes. They have to wear wigs and masks to conceal their hideous figures so they're always uncomfortable in their human skin and she brings him to a hotel retreat after his parents die in a horrific car accident where he stumbles upon the witch's council headed by angelica houston who's a perfect human being yeah uh she turns him into a mouse for spying on them and then he joins up with his human grandmother and another fellow boy turned mouse 
and tries to overthrow the witch's council that has haunted this hotel. I've seen this movie twice. Once was maybe about two or three years ago, and uh, the second time was for this podcast, and I still can't wrap my head around it. Like, all the different parts of the movie work really well for me, but it just feels like this kind of, like, mishmash of, like, all these different films. The mouse is so cute. It's just, like, this cute little yeah. Jim Henson mouse... And Angelica Houston and the other witches, when they take off their wigs, look like Skeksis. They're like yeah. hideous puppet beasts. They have beasts. literal testicle chins. Yeah. Their chins just yeah. look like actual ball sacks with hair and saggy ball sacks. Testicles. <laughs> it's shot like Matilda, so it's got all these, like, uh, the, um, the movie Matilda, so it's got, like, all these weird cartoonish, like, yeah. Dutch angles. angles and stuff. Yeah, a lot of Dutch angles, a lot of, like, fisheye lens, not a lot of weird coloring. I would say the the color palette's a lot more sedate than Matilda, which like kind of like goes into the primary colors and like really bold, splashy colors. This is a good bit more muted, but it's also you know the early '90s when yeah. everything was a little more blah. gem tones. It was a pretty popular movie, and I, I it's just weird seeing it as an adult because maybe as a kid I would have like sort of rolled the punches a little more, but I'm watching it now and it just never. It feels it's like kind of three horrifying. three separate movies. Sometimes it's really horrifying, and sometimes it's really cute. And uh, I like all of what's happening, but I can't manage to put it all together in my head. Did you grow up with this one, Virginia, or you just saw it recently? I I definitely grew up with the book, but again, didn't like, I don't like overly negative portrayals of witches, but I liked the idea of how much power they had and that they were organized. I like that, like, covens of witches versus, like, you're just going to find out you're a witch one day, and maybe you're going to know one other witch, you know, but... I, I, the movie I don't think I saw till I was living with y'all. It's kind of cool that they have this like retreat where they all. Um, it's kind of like uh, the idea of like taking your bra off at the end of the day. Like they all yeah. take off their human oh, costumes yeah, yeah. and they're oh, yeah, so that, comfortable. That scene, that scene when they like unmask and take their. I guess they're all wearing gloves or somehow they're like massive long fingers have been jammed magically into smaller gloves or something I don't know Maybe. and they have like male and female actors playing the witches which yes. is kind of cool like it's a weird mix of people in this council you're not supposed to notice that there's men playing the witches I, he- I-, I heard someone point out that Michael Palin was in uh, in the background so I don't know how, how much that's true um, <laughs> was he just like on vacation I, was I, just like yeah, oh hey I'll be an extra for <laughs> this kid's movie but I think a good dichotomy there is Angelica Houston's two looks in the film Mm -hmm. like when she's her human self she is so perfect she's basically like eye fucking the world in this movie Mm -hmm. like she's got this like sultry like powerful Mm -hmm. uh look and then when she becomes like the witch or whatever Mm -hmm. she's very ugly and just like it's a like you said a really negative portrait and it's even hard to listen to her like it's got a gross Mm -hmm. voiceover act yeah, she does this terrible accent. It's I think the only terrible thing Angelica Houston's ever done in her entire career <laughs> is this awful accent that she does in The Witches. It's like this like fake pseudo German accent. Yeah, it's just it's bad. It's <laughs> terrible. Yeah, I kind of wish she had like kept her regular speaking voice when she was in her like witch form. And she was raised in Britain, so she can speak in an English accent. I'm pretty sure. Yeah. If she wanted to, like her time was split between California and, and Britain, so I'm pretty certain she could just speak in a British accent. Mm-hmm. Instead, she decided to go German <laughs> for this British witches council. Yeah, that's that's bizarre. I never considered that. Do they perform any magic in this movie besides 
A, turning boys into mice, and B, shooting laser beams out of their eyes. Like, that's the only two, like... No, any other magic's off-screen. At one point, the head witch uh, gives every other witch, like, $10,000 or some, like, large amount of money to oh, open their yeah. own candy store. And I, we can assume that she got that money through magic, but we never see her make it. The mice were created using a potion, which oh, we don't right. see getting made. And then... There's the painting, which is off-screen magic as well, right? At the beginning of the film, uh, a young girl is trapped in a painting where she, like, ages oh, yeah, uh, yeah. over, like, years. Yeah, so her parents, like, watch her grow up in this painting, but they can never, like, see or touch their own child again, which is just horrifying. <laughs> uh, but yeah, no, we never actually see any of the... Uh, there is a witch who Black approaches him at his own house, or at his grandmother's house, and tries to get him to come out of his treehouse by offering him a, a snake, oh, a living yeah. snake. And she makes a snake appear out of thin air. And it's very obviously a poisonous snake. She's like, oh, it's not poisonous. Boys love snakes. But it's like, that's an adder or some other dangerous, yeah. dangerous snake uh, that she has offered him. Am I being harsh on this movie? Like, I, I I, don't love or hate it. I'm just, like, fascinated by why it I like work. this movie, even though it is a very negative depiction of witches. Um, oh, it's still fun. It's still super fun. Yeah. I mean, it's fun in, like, a Roald Dahl way. You just kind of have to roll, roll with his uh, terrible punches. Like, <laughs> bad things happen to kids. Yeah. I am a little upset by the ending because there's a happy ending. And in the original book, he stays a mouse. He gets turned into a mouse, and he just stays a mouse. From what I understand, he even reflects on the fact that his life will be shorter because he's a mouse. Yeah. yeah. And he just kind of accepts it. He's like, well, because he, he thinks of it as a good thing because he knows his grandmother's getting old and that she has a bad heart. And he's like, well, this way... You know, she doesn't... We can die together. Mm. And, like, we can, like, go at the same time and she won't have to live without me and I won't have to live without her. And, like, that's the note it ends on. It's just, like, him, like, being like, well, this works out, you know? I don't want to live without my grandma. But in the end, they have, like, the most ridiculous deus ex machina where this, like, the one nice witch on the council who's abused comes in and points a finger at the house and turns him back into, like, a boy. And And he runs naked across the screen, happy. Yeah. He like he he's living in a mouse house, obviously at this point, and he gets turned back into a boy. So he destroys his own house with his little naked boy body, and then just runs around naked. <laughs> and then the film ends, and there's like a pretty witch wearing nice pointy shoes because now she can because she's a good witch, and laughing like hysterically like oh, I saved the day. That little mouse house he lives in, that little miniature before she turns it back, is the most adorable shit. It's pretty yeah. precious. Yeah. There's an elevator. Like, it's so cute. Oh, yeah, there's a like, whole little Rube Goldberg setup where he like, oh, yeah. travels around in his little mouse car. Um, did you have anything to say about this one before we move on? It's, it's a Jim Henson masterpiece. Good. It's good. Yeah, the practical effects are really good. Like, the practical it, effects are great, and it's scary. It's legitimately scary, which yeah. I appreciate in a kid's movie. Yeah, there's a, there's a lot of tension and, like... Even though it is, like you said, kind of multiple parts sort of put, to, you know, that don't quite mesh all the time. It's, oh, it's yeah, even movie. with the money, like it's kind of like a heist movie almost. On top of everything else, it yeah. is. It's weird, but I will say that mouse puppet is one of the cutest things Jim Henson oh, has ever made in his life. Like, baby. I wish I could adopt him. Yeah. And the kid who plays him before he's turned into a mouse is the ugliest little kid. Brandon <laughs> despises this child, which I think is very unfair. He's a perfectly normal child. I have, like, an Uncanny Valley thing with him where he looks enough like Macaulay Culkin, but it's just, like, wrong. <laughs> it just mm. bothers me. 
Your resentment of this poor child. Yeah, I shouldn't be mean to him. He's just much cuter as a mouse. Um, <laughs> and then the last movie in the list, three years later, Disney production, the only proper Disney production on this list, uh, Hocus Pocus. Probably one of the more beloved like nostalgia films of people in our age range. Uh, stars Bette Midler as a witch, the head witch of three sisters, hung at, during the Salem witch trials, come back 100 years later, 200 years later? I wish I had written down the time. Um, <laughs> I'm they died in the 1690s, and then they were brought back in the 1990s. 300 years later. There we go. There we go. Got it. <laughs> it's been 300 years, right down to the day. Is it, does they sing that? that? She's, yeah. yeah. During I Put a Spell on You. So I've probably seen this movie about three or four times, so I would probably do a terrible plot description. I don't know if y'all want to go for it instead of me. But, um, yeah, I think Virginia should probably <laughs> introduce this one, because you just kind of... Basic, basically, yeah. these these two kids move to this new town on and Halloween. You're still, you're still describing it. Uh, and they accidentally bring the San, the Sanderson sisters back. So this is this is the one kids movie I can think of that mentions like virginity almost more than like American Pie or any one of those movies. Like it's a it has this like weird adult dialogue, which I think is part of why it's like people have enjoyed it for a lot longer. But like it, I don't know, straight like introduces a, I feel like adult themes really early like you know high schooler is like hitting on his classmate like giving her his number and then he gets like held up for his shoes in the cemetery this is like all his first day of school yeah and then his parents just like leave him with the kid you know leave him with his little sister to trick-or-treat to like go out and get drunk on their first night in town and like I don't know it's very it's great great like 90s hands-off parenting he has an overnight cuddle with his like yeah, 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 yeah. He's like, there's a girl, and this is only because the the parents are all bewitched um, by Bette Midler. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, like the girl sleeps over. Um, he it, it, at some point like turns him, tries to turn himself in to what turns out to be a policeman uh, or a, a a a man dressed as a policeman for Halloween. And the guy like takes him aside to make fun of him further, like, "Oh, are you actually a virgin?" He's like, "I'll get a tattoo to my forehead." Like, I don't like that's having seen it two weeks ago, and it having been like the thirty something time that I've seen this movie in my life. For some reason, that's like really like sticking out. How to old me. is he? Like fifteen? And he's they're 15. like ragging yeah. on him for that. Yeah, yeah. That's that's strange. Because he's in the company of a beautiful young woman. So why <laughs> hasn't he had sex with her yet? They've been around each other for at least like four hours at this point. And there's no mention of whether or not she's a virgin, but I guess she doesn't offer to light the candle because she's smart, not because she's, you know. Yeah. And then you have Sarah Jessica Parker, who's like this horny witch who's yeah. always hitting on boys his age. Yeah. Let me play with him. Let me tie him up and play with him. Like, oh my god, can you imagine if it were like a Billy Bones, like the zombie type character saying something like that? I don't know. Anyway, like super creepy. Yeah. It's really creepy. But still, still love it because... It's the best. I like uh, when they have the boy in the cage in their like den and she's like poking his butt through the uh, holes in the cage. Yeah. Like, I, I think there's, like, this, like, feverish sexuality to Sarah Jessica Parker that's really fun to watch in this movie. Yeah. She's a candle burning at both ends, you know? <laughs> yeah. She knows that uh, unless they, like, manage to, like, consume a child before midnight, like, or what, before sunrise, she's yeah. gonna die. So she's gonna eat all the spiders. She's gonna sit on all the bus driver's laps. She's gonna, she's gonna dance with, uh... God, who plays the, the devil? 
Uh, oh, Gary Marshall. Gary, Marshall. Gary, she's gonna dance with Gary Marshall. <laughs> Gary Marshall as Satan is my favorite two minutes of this movie. Well, and his sister playing his wife. Yeah. yeah. That so is weird. incredible dialogue the whole time. <laughs> Aren't you a little old to be trick-or-treating? Oh, God. Yeah. Yeah, he's like slow dancing with these like strange women in yeah. his living room, and his wife's like wearing curlers. Like, yeah. she's not into the Halloween thing at no. all. Um, there's just something really like weird and dreamlike about that sequence. It's yeah, like because she they didn't she, need to put that sequence in there. It did not advance the plot whatsoever. It, they yeah. just did it because they thought it would be fun. God, it was so funny. Like it, it, each of them had their chance to shine, right? So Sarah Jessica Parker is dancing. Kathy and Jimmy is reacting to the television in the most hilarious manner. <laughs> There's that that baby commercial where the baby's like uh, zooming around the living room in like a walker to like Flight of the Bumblebee or something yeah. like that, and she's never seen anything like that before. She's just like changing she's the channel, just like, freak out. <laughs> and I guess their goal, uh, both at the beginning when they're initially hung and when they come back, is to consume children's souls. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Which is pretty creepy for, like, the tone here. Like, it's kind of a... Yeah. It's a light and campy Disney, like, adventure epic. That starts with the murder of two actual children. Yeah. And they, like, suck the souls out of the kids' bodies to become younger and more yeah. virile. I don't know. I, I, I like the uh, I like the general look here. I like mm-hmm. the cult that's sort of grown around it. Yes. Uh, it's got this kind of Space Jam quality where people, like... <laughs> get absolutely pissed when you mention how popular it is like it yeah. just like inspires like no it's mine people only it's i true. saw that yeah. as a kid no, no it's the it's other like, way it's like people don't like don't understand why someone would love this movie as, oh, as much really? as people do yeah oh. it's kind of it's kind of strange I, I like i think unless you are in a certain age range like uh-huh. it just doesn't mean anything to you yeah my th- i would say like my parents obviously remember that i watched this movie a ton and when i was like yeah i'm gonna go talk with Brandon and Cece about Hocus Pocus. My dad just laughed, like, well, you're still into that, Of course you are! Like, (laughs) Yeah, I guess they wouldn't, like, see the difference between this and, like, uh, the made-for-TV Disney, uh... Halloween Town? Uh, I was thinking Double Double Toil and Trouble with the Olsen twins. It was not made by Disney. Uh, It wasn't? No. They had their own own, Yeah, their own Olsen twins. I thought it was made-for-TV for some reason. I mean, it might have been, but I think it was made for, like, ABC and not Disney. Okay. Because they couldn't show those on the Disney Channel. Like, right. I never saw those on repeat on the Disney Channel. So, so like, for people like that who, like, don't get it, like, you see, like, Bette Miller's fake teeth. You see, oh, uh... God, I love those teeth. The, the middle witch is... I can't remember that. Sarah Ninjami. Okay. Her, Kathy. uh... She's got this, Kathy. like... She's got this kind of screw face, like, slack jaw thing she does. Yeah. And people, like, see those quirks and not really, like, the spirit of the film. Yeah. I don't know. It's just interesting. Yeah. Like, I think Space Jam is a good comparison point because people get... Yeah super pissed about that movie and I grew up loving it and I, I cannot step out of the context uh, of like defending I guess they it. just live in a bubble because like I'm not aware that people <laughs> hate Space Jam yeah I want to meet these Space yeah. Jam haters who hates Space Jam I want to meet these Hocus Pocus haters okay. really but I, I can I can see why somebody um just I mean, just I don't get why my mom had a crush on the girl from Escape to Witch Mountain I never got that I <laughs> thought she was okay but like I just don't get it I think that movie's boring but, you know, I could see why you'd have a crush on Danny from Hocus Pocus, because she's super cool. Yeah. Wait, Yeah, Danny's let's talk about older? a young she's the little Thora girl. Birch. Let's oh. talk about Thora Birch. She's young Thora Birch. And she's think rocking about that it. lipstick. Yeah. She's got that really awesome, eclectic witch outfit that's, like, yeah. mostly, like, knitted sweaters. Yeah. She's like, that's, that's not a witch outfit, but... She has, like, cool patches and stuff on it. 
Okay, so it's a young brother and sister who moved to this new town, right? Mm-hmm. And the movie, I, I think if I have to, like, ding it for one big mistake, is that it mm-hmm. focuses on the brother's, like, adjustment to this town. Yeah, yeah. And she's kind of supposed to be this quirky sidekick character that, like, takes him down a peg. She's clearly already more adjusted than he is. Yeah. She's, she's just an awesome character. Yeah. Ew. She's like, oh, yeah, I moved to a new town. No big deal. It's a new town with witches. Why would I be upset about moving yeah. halfway across the country, like, or the whole way across the country, like... Get live in Salem. It. It's great. Yeah. It's awesome. I like the scene where she embarrasses her brother by talking about yabos. Yeah. Uh, he's Oof. talking about like girls' breasts in front of his like crush. She's, she's like, like, I love your dress, but I can't wear that because I don't have any. What do you call them, Max? <laughs> yabos. Yabos. I've never heard anyone use that. Which mode. is a great <laughs> backhanded <laughs> compliment. Yeah. Like really teaching us like fellow six year olds how to like, give the backhanded compliment. Yeah. Like also- Oh, I couldn't wear that. Oh. <laughs> Also, like her uh, dramatic um, when he wants to like make fun of her for trick or treating, she does this dramatic collapsing on a bunch of jack o' lanterns and yeah. cries. It's just like really great, like almost like a drag queen motion that yeah. she makes. That's true. Um, and her relationship with the talking cat, uh, Banks. Th- Thackeray Banks, Thackeray Banks, uh, very like endearing relationship. Yeah. There's a fake out where Thackeray Banks is run over by a car. Yes, which uh, is horrifying to yes. us children. Can you imagine my horror? Every a, child's horror. I had a crush on Thackeray, even though Thackeray was a cat and not yeah. a person. <laughs> I still that, had a crush. Had that voice. Well, the film does have that Casper reveal at the end where he's actually like, a beautiful boy in a nice blouse. Oh, man. Yeah. <laughs> well, so, I mean, you start, did I not have also a crush on the, oh, everyone. Casper? Yeah, exactly. Because I did. <laughs> but yeah, the part where he's run over by a car is, uh, it's really horrifying because we're not yet used to the idea that he's immortal yeah. at that point, And he's just laid flat. A flat cat and sort of reinflates himself like a balloon. It's disgusting. It's yeah. very cartoonish. <laughs> and there's some cracking that happens when he gets like reinflated. It's, it's disgusting. Kind of gross. And he's not like he's not one of the beautiful, smooth, like animatronic puppets from Jim Henson. He's no. instead like Salem the cat from uh, Sabrina the Teenage Witch, yeah. and he is not as cute. So like watching him reinflate is just like kind of gruesome. <laughs> it's not, yeah. Just like ooh, a little yeah. jerky and animatronic in his movements, so like <laughs> they're two good runovers, you know. There's there's him, and then there's Billy Bones' fingers getting cut off by the sewer uh, lid when they go by in the bus. Oh with, yeah, with Sarah Jessica. Well, yeah. is it that point, or is it? It's some yeah. some point that his his yeah, hand. He, he loses fingers, and the cat yeah. loses his life. But so yeah. okay, Billy Bones. This was. Bette Midler's boyfriend yeah. that Sarah Jessica Parker had yes. sex with. Yes. Mm-hmm. So then Bette Midler turned him into a zombie. No, she, she killed him. Oh, she, she just, just murdered her. Sewed his mouth shut. It, Fair enough. Yeah. She, she poisoned <laughs> him and then sewed his mouth shut after he was dead. <laughs> and then brought him back to life to like wreck havoc. As if he, as if he was gonna do what she yeah. asked him to. <laughs> like she poisoned him. Why would he do that for yeah. her? Yeah. So I, okay, I was listening to a podcast earlier today, which is maybe why I'm thinking of like hocus pocus haters today. But uh, it was uh, trash art in the movies, and one of their complaints was that the three witches don't really feel like sisters, which is something that I never really questioned before. But uh, it is true that they do have like very separate personalities. Yeah, yeah they don't look alike or anything. But I feel like they're like sisters in like a, like a coveny sort of way. Yeah, I buy yeah. that. Um, no, they look nothing alike. I would not believe those were sisters for an instant, but yeah. 
there's like moments when they're you know when they're like reminiscing about things you're like talking about the things that are good in the world or whatever and they say, and they all like collectively say like mother <laughs> and like saw and i'm just like i wish that we knew more about where they came from because like you know they talk about satan and master and all that stuff but like who is their mom right yeah, yeah. Maybe, I would love to know. maybe that's the movie we'll get you know if they Please. make a if they make a prequel like yeah, Maggie a, Smith, their mom, or something. Oh, yeah. Some weird, I don't know. Sigourney Weaver. Yeah. <laughs> Damn it, it's always Sigourney Weaver. Yeah, she was in Vamps as like the head vampire. And I just want to hold on to that forever. And she was in uh, Cabin in the Woods. Cabin in the Woods, as, yeah. as, like, you know, like the, the gamekeeper or whatever. I do like uh, Ben Miller's sister's shriek that she does a lot, though. She's like, sisters! Sisters! Yeah. <laughs> There's something really infectious also, about that. Also, one thing I'd like to ask anyone listening. What do you think happened to the girls who picked up their brooms while they were in the devil's house yeah, they wasting their, their time. They, they lose their three enchanted brooms and end up later on having to enchant things from the broom closet and fly on those. But like those little girls l- flew off on some brooms. <laughs> <laughs> we, don't, we have no idea what happened. That is a really good question. Because <laughs> you hear a whoosh like as they, as they leave the screen. You hear like a whoosh. So, so we know they flew. I'm, I'm pretty sure, you know. I'm guessing they got far enough away from the town that they didn't get called back when uh, Sarah Jessica Parker started singing. So yeah. <laughs> had had things not gone so well, uh, they would have been the only three survivors. Oh my that is a legitimate creepy moment. Uh, Sarah Jessica Parker does this like siren song. Oh, yeah. And attracts all the children in the town to sort of like zombie walk to the uh, house. Yeah. And are all their parents at the dance? Yeah, they're like enchanted. Like every single parent. Well, is some at the of the dance. parents were at the girl, the love interest's house. Right? That's what I'm. Wondering. And that was a completely different party. Yeah. They're just, they're just in the throes of alcohol. They don't need a magical spell to keep them partying. That's very true. How 90s. <laughs> Where are your children? I guess the only other um, detail I would want to point out is the bullies. Uh, <laughs> as soon as he gets to town, these two kids steal his shoes in a uh, graveyard. Why would you want somebody's worn sneakers? I never got stealing Check somebody's. out the new cross trainers. His <laughs> shoes weren't that nice either. No. They were just regular sneakers, not like a cool limited edition. They weren't Air Jordans. They weren't they were like recognizable sneakers. brand. They were just like regular old sneaks, and yeah. they weren't like that new. They were yeah. I just like at no point did these bullies seem cool at all. Like they're <laughs> worse nerds than this kid they're picking on. They just happen to have two of them, so they can kind of gang up on. Yeah, them. that's true. Yeah, they're they're pretty gross. I like that they that they get theirs. Um, I, I also, I just like that, yeah, like, you you couldn't have just one of them, and I don't even think you could have three of them. They so perfectly complement each other as sort of a bizarro, like, Jay and Silent Bob, except that he's not silent. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, he calls himself Ice. Ice, which I tried two weeks ago to have shaved into the back of my head, which didn't really work out, but... It was a failed experiment. Yeah. You need to get an Ice's barber's number. Yes. <laughs> yes. Yeah, I just I like that I like that Ice goes through you know periods of transformation. You know? <laughs> I'm not Ernie anymore. Yeah, like what if he was something before he was Ernie? You know, <laughs> my name ain't Ernie no more. Like what if you know he was? Yeah. Do y'all think this one qualifies as a musical the same way that the first two do? Because mm. besides the I put a spell on you da- dance sequence, and there's the Sarah Jessica Parker does the. Uh, Mm-hmm. Just the like siren song. Is there another music number I'm, th- I'm missing? 
So those are just two musical tangents in a film that... Yeah, yeah I think it's just like a kid's movie that has musical tangents in it. Yeah, because they don't replace dialogue with music, and that's usually how I define a musical, is if dialogue and like plot expo- exposition is replaced with a song. Like, we're gonna do a montage, except in this case it's a song. <laughs> yeah, I can see that. And yeah, Worst Witch and Teen Witch are definitely more in line with that. Yeah, yeah they replace... I don't know what those cheerleaders were talking about when they were singing I Like Boys, but like, they replaced whatever dialogue would have been there with this song, yeah. I Like Boys. <laughs> it probably would have been them talking about how they like boys. I'm putting on some <laughs> lipstick yeah. to attract some I'm boys. very heterosexual. I'm into boys. Yeah. <laughs> well, um... If I had to, like, sort of track the trajectory of these, besides, like, there are some early on that I grew up with, like, having an intense, like, nostalgia for. The last two live-action ones, the the Witches and Hocus Pocus, those center on a male protagonist coming of mm-hmm. age, where the first three are about a female protagonist coming of age, which is kind of a weird shift for them to take over time. But otherwise, I think I think it's a pretty interesting boom of like witches movies that came up like all around the same time. Um, yeah. Do y'all have a particular favorite in the group? Um, Hocus Pocus. Duh. Hocus Pocus. Yeah, I mean, I, I I love Teen Witch as well. I think Teen Witch is my favorite. I like the little brother in Teen Witch an awful lot. I wish him oh, yeah. and Danny were from Hocus Pocus <gasps> were in a film together. Oh my god! <laughs> like I feel like those two would get into so much trouble. Like he's a little vampire and she's a little witch. Like, I would have watched. Movie. I would have watched this. They're they're both way too old now. I think it would just be kind of wrong to see them now. You yeah, know, it would be bad. We can use CGI capture though to like just make it without them. You know, against our will. Do you have a favorite witch movie that's not on this list? I was just trying to think of things from that era that are not on this list. I love we- Witches of Eastwick. That's one of my favorites. Yeah. Um, it's very up there for my favorite George Miller movie. I think the only one that tops it might be Babe 2, Pig in the City. Because <laughs> that movie is so fucked up. But, it is. Yeah. And That's it, one I need to see again soon. Yeah. I would eat, I would eat some pork products. and. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, The Craft is obviously up there. Yeah. yeah. Uh, Practical Magic was around this time, but I think that movie's a hot mess. <laughs> that movie, the music is so <laughs> terrible. So, I, was trying, I was discussing with friends the other day, like, is Practical Magic in the category of these kind of films where, like, you know, you remember liking it as a kid, and you watch it again, and it's still pretty good, makes you feel... But, like, half of the people I talked to were like, no, it was always terrible. <laughs> I didn't like it. It was the cheesy as The sex politics hell. of that movie are fucked up. <laughs> like, she can't, like, shake a bad boyfriend. Like, Nicole Kidman's character can't mm-hmm. shake a bad boyfriend, so she literally murders him, and he comes back from the dead to, like, haunt them. Like, Damn. just, like, messed up stuff. Um, do you consider Death Becomes Her to be kind of like a witchy? Ooh. I was kind of thinking of that one when yeah. you said Witches of Eastwick. Um, Maybe we should I would do consider a, that one. We should do a second one where we skew older a little bit because there's yeah. definitely a lot to work with from yeah. that era. I mean, The Witch, you know, from 20, 2015. 26, 2016. 2016. That was, that was a pretty God good damn. witch movie. Yeah. Whew. <laughs> Sexy. We watched that as a 4th of July film this year because it felt very American. It's very American. It's, a full, it's an American folktale. Yeah. And it's a story about... America. A story about America. <laughs> about settling this great country. I I love Black Phillip. I think Black Phillip is one of the greatest characters in a film ever. I love that it's a dude, sorry, at the end, like yeah. a brief moment. I don't know. 
I just think that like that makes the entire movie for me. If you had to choose between Black Phillip and Gary Marshall Satan, which one you were going to live with for the rest of your life? I mean, I would like to live deliciously. Uh, exactly. So. <laughs> I'm not eating Cheetos and living in the suburbs, baby. I'm, I'm living deliciously. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to eat the taste of butter. <laughs> I don't know. I think that Black Phillip's uh, sensuality might be too much for me. Like, I kind of want to just hang out with Gary Marshall. I mean, I feel weird <laughs> farting in front of Black Phillip, I guess. Like, can't really relax around him. Like, gonna be pretty serious all the time well until we have you back for another witchy Yay. conversation or anything else you want to talk about here because you're always welcome oh uh anything you want to plug that you have coming up so everybody should come to no Kaz. is it on the 15th this year no, it's on it's november no, november 19th, 19th. Uh, the, is the friday where they do a lot of like lectures and uh like craft things and then saturday the 20th is the actual no cas with all of the zine vendors so new orleans comic and zine fest yeah this is the third annual no cas um swamp flicks will also be there um we're going to be selling print versions of stuff we made for the site i wish i had something witchy for the table to go along with this podcast because maybe that should be the next time could adapt this conversation into like (laughs) A retrospective of 80s and 90s kids' movies about witches. I'm just going to transcribe it by hand as soon as I uh, press stop on this recording. Yes. Um, so this is a good like post-Halloween cool-down for me. I hope you all had fun watching these movies again, because it was a good I did. visit for me. Yay! Good night, everybody. Good night!